Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. As we uh, go through this series, we're going to go through some trades that you and I need to make. Over the last 10, 12 weeks, our Bible study uh, at my house has been gone through personality um, indexes, especially we focused on uh, the Enneagram. And really, that's because we want to, for us to love one another better, we need to understand one another more. And so for each one of us, we've been walking through different personality types. And essentially, the idea is that there are three motivators that lead people towards a personality that they have. Um, Those are are shame, fear, and guilt. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to unpack a trade that you and I can make if we are dealing with one of those areas, shame, fear, or guilt. And so today, as uh, I want to begin by just talking through the human story. You see, the human story, it began in a garden and it ends in a city. We know that to be true. The entire time in between, we see a story of God pursuing His people. So from the garden, God wanted to be close. God had a desire to be close. God walked with mankind. And then at the end of all time, God is doing everything possible to draw men to Himself. We actually named the church Captivate because that is what God is into. He is into captivating our souls through irresistible appeal, through His divine nature, His invisible qualities, His power, the beauty that's all around us. God is constantly drawing us, drawing mankind to himself. And in the story of humanity, that's exactly what's been happening. But look at what uh, Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And so when you think about God's creation, when you think about God drawing us to himself, one of the ways that he does it is through this, this world around us and he declares it as his handiwork. But you may or may not realize that what he thinks about you, the scripture says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. I don't know if you've ever seen a sunset. I don't know if you've ever seen the the beauty of of the ocean waves. I I don't know if you've ever just stopped and looked up into the stars. One of the beautiful things about going to, to our mission trip in Kenya is I like to just take time and go out alone and just stare up at the stars because the stars look like they're only 10 feet away and you can reach out and grab a hold of them. But when you think about all of the beauty that you've ever seen that comes from nature, that God designed and put together, all of that, that's His handiwork. But when He thinks about you, when He thinks about me, God calls us His masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could go and do good things, the good things that He planned for us long ago. You see, so the story of God, the story of humanity is a story of God pursuing His masterpiece. When sin entered the world, sin wrecked all of that. And when sin entered the human story, sin brought its companions shame, fear, and guilt. So God created the the human narrative, the human story. God created mankind and began to walk with him in the garden and, and looked around at everything that was created and said, hey, all this is for you. You're my masterpiece. You're the central figure here of my love and my adoration. You're different. You're unique. You're special. You're, you're not the same as a plant or a crab or a horse or a dog. You are different. You are a masterpiece of mine. You're made in my image. 
And then sin enters into the world. Sin is the willful disobedience, the willful choice to do something different than other than God's divine plan. And so when sin enters the world through the disobedience of Adam, then you and I, we also have to deal with these new things called shame, fear, and guilt. These things weren't present before sin entered the world. There was no shame. In fact, when, when, when you think about the story of God, you remember back in Genesis 3, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Then they heard the sound of the Lord being walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves. Can you say hid? Hid. They hid themselves. From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man, and He said to him, Where are you? Now God obviously knew where he was geographically. But it's a fair question that the Lord prompts all of our souls on a daily basis. Tali, where are you in relation to me? Where, where are you in your identity? Where are you in your, your view of who I am and how I feel about you? Where, where are you? As you came into the theater today, there's no doubt that some of us came in out of obedience and obligation. Like, well, I need to go, it's Sunday. Some of us came because we have a desire to meet with the Lord. We're curious. We don't really fully know Him, but we feel like maybe this is where an answer can come. Some of us, we came because we genuinely have the joy and we want to, to unite with brothers and sisters and we want to praise the Lord. But the question that all of us have to answer every day is, where are you? But because of their shame, they hid themselves from the presence. You see, shame is a noun. It's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So we have Adam and Eve in their garden and they're, they're walking with the Lord and there was no shame, fear, or guilt. In fact, they were naked, but God didn't even say that the, them being naked was a sin or something to be ashamed of. But they were. Body shaming happened in the garden. And ever since then, we've been trying to figure out how to not live ashamed. You see, this has been happening all throughout history, all throughout Scripture. What I love about the Scriptures is that if you were to fake a religion, you would not put the types of stories that people write about themselves in the Scriptures. You just wouldn't do it. You and I, if we were to fake something, we would always be the hero. We would always do everything right. We would always have it together. But the reality is when you look at the Bible, when you look at the characters, when you look at the authors and what they say about themselves, you realize that they, this is not a religion to try to puff up anybody. This is a faith that has been built because it's real. And people have no problem saying, you know what? I am not going to be ashamed. This is where I used to be. And this is what the Lord has done for me. And all in between is nothing of my doing it's but of the Lord's and so I'll write it down I'll let it be known I'll talk about my broken places 
But if you were to fake it, you would, you would just create a picture where there is no shame. You would create a picture where you're always right. You would create a picture where you're always on top, where you always win, where you're never sad. And, and if everybody would just have your faith, it would all be better. But that's not the picture of the gospel. The picture of the gospel is brokenness after brokenness after brokenness that gets healed by a healing and loving God. And so when we think about 2 Samuel 11, We're thinking about a powerful man who abused his authority by lusting and ultimately conceiving a child with one of his subordinates. So ashamed of his behavior, he resorted to killing the woman's husband rather than to admit his own failure. That man was David. He would later be called a man after God's own heart. Shame and what it does and how it impacts others. We think again to John chapter 4 and we think about a woman. This, this woman, she came to draw water alone in the midday sun to avoid all of the gossip that she was sure to find at a different hour. And she had five failed marriages. She was sleeping with her boyfriend. She couldn't even tell the Messiah the truth about her situation. But this Samaritan woman, she would go on by God's grace, not in shame, but as a great evangelist, pointing many people Back to Jesus. You see, how does God deal with shame? Then you have a woman in Luke 8. She was suffering from feminine bleeding for 12 years. She was considered an outcast, unclean, unwelcome, unwanted. When she saw Jesus healing others, she, she just wished that she could feel that touch. But instead of coming out and just asking for his love, she hid. And and only in desperation, she reached out and touched his robe. But even in that shame, she found healing. And Jesus told her it was her faith that was the active ingredient so that she could live this life with peace. How does God deal with shame? How do we deal with shame? Where are you? You see, where we are in dealing with shame is usually unhealthy. It's because of our shame that we resort to to doing behaviors that cause more harm than good. And we believe that we have it within our faculties, the ability to fix ourselves in the middle of our shame instead of admitting the fact that, you know what, in our shame, He can still be strong. In our shame, there can still be something different. The reality is that when we feel shame, we will hide or we will hope. When we feel shame, you will hide or you will hope in the midst of your shame. Shame is knowing that I've done something wrong and I'm disgusted by the behavior. I don't want anybody to know or I don't want certain people to know. And so we, we will hide And what happens is when you hide, you begin to add layers. Does this remind you of anything in Genesis? Adam and Eve, when they hid from the Lord, they went and they grabbed layers and they tried to cover up. And he's looking and he understands. He's like, hold on, I'm God. I made you. I designed you. This is kind of like uh, your your mother when you're like eight, nine, ten years old. And and, and all of a sudden, like um, um, they mom opens the door to the bathroom and like the eight year old has realized, like, I have my own body. Like, like, mom. And what do almost all of you women ever tell the kids? I made you. 
<laughs> right? Like, like, really? Because there's this moment where identity comes, and it's like, hey, hold on, this is, this is me now. We're separate. And, and so there's this moment in a house where, where that starts to happen. Well, here's the deal. We do that with, with God all of the time. And we're just like, God, I can't have you see me this way. And he says, I made you. I'm not going to see something I'm not, uh, I'm not aware of. I know you, Tolly. I know your broken places. I know your weaknesses. I know that you don't feel sufficient. I know whenever you want uh, to, your, your pride gets along. I know whenever your sin shows up. I know you already. But what you will do is you will hide or you will hope. You will hide from me or you will hope in me as a result of your shame. Look at Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope, look at this, does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Shame. We will hide or we will hope. Many of us have chosen to hide. Many of us have layer upon layer upon layer of cover-up. Concealer. We, we, we make up ourselves and then we put on masks and then we put on masks on those masks and we just add layers. And before long, you can't carry the weight of trying to pretend anymore. And people either go towards de depression or, or they finally one day explode and let everyone know that they're not who they think they are. But there's the third option. You don't have to go into despair and run from God and hide and never be fully known. You, you don't even have to come out and just in anger explode and say, none of you know me. Here's who I really am. You don't have to do that. The third option that God offers and time after time He, he honors is that you can hope in Him. You, you can sit back and say, you know, I don't have a whole lot of hope in faking it. I don't have a whole lot of hope in being angry over the, the fact that I did something or I am something or I said something or I struggle with something. I, I don't have a whole lot of hope in that. But what if I hoped that what Jesus said was true? What if I hope in the God that restores David? What if I hope in the God who restores the Samaritan woman? What if I hope in the God that knows me for who I am? And just as the woman with bleeding saw that Jesus said her faith made her whole, what if my faith in Jesus can make me whole? What if I don't have to carry shame anymore? The most freeing thing you can do is to come clean. The most freeing thing you can do is to talk to people 
that, that, that love you and that want God's best for you. And they're not judgmental hanging things over your head and just to come clean. I think I told you guys, but in visiting with a counselor um, recently, because I, I'm your pastor, so y'all have messed up stuff and I, I need to go dump it. Uh, but and in, I'm just joking, but it's true. And But in doing that, one of the things that he said, he was like, Tali, you're, like, you're remarkably blunt and honest about what's going on around you and you're extremely observant and like you don't mind telling me like what's up with that and I told him I was like I've just learned that life is so much more free when I'm not trying to keep up with anything to hide when 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 I can just express it when I can just say yes that's true when I can just agree with God about how he sees me it's so much more free and then he uh, proceeded to try to cancel my future sessions he's like you don't need me and I'm like yeah I do please let me come back Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How do we get peace with God? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I cannot have peace with God by our own works, our own efforts, our, our, our own anything. You and I get peace with God if we accept what Jesus did for us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived an example of a life. He died a voluntary, uh, voluntary death for you and I so that He can be the bridge builder between us and our Lord. And as a result, you and I can have peace with God if we will trust in Jesus. Through Him, we also have obtained access by faith into what? His grace in which we stand. We stand in grace and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So not only did Jesus save you from the sin that's the negative side but he also allows you access to grace the grace in which you stand if you are a Christ follower you stand in grace you cannot help it everywhere your foot goes grace goes with you he goes before you the scripture says he hems you in in the front and behind that there's no place you can go where God hasn't been for you and so we stand in this beautiful beautiful grace what shame is is taking away taking away the idea of grace in your life shame is saying I still need to live in the consequences of my brokenness I still need to live with the consequences of knowing what I did shame is saying that I can't come out right and just simply say God I need your grace because I deal with this issue. Shame is the devil's in the devil's toolbox. Grace is in God's toolbox. God says, I want you to see grace. I, I know what you've been through. I know what you've done. But I want to see grace in your life. I want you to understand you stand in my grace. You don't have to stand in your shame. You stand in my grace. Sin brings shame, but hope in Jesus brings peace you may deal be dealing with shame I, I talk to people they they come and they tell me you know pastor I've had this this type of relationship pastor I I, I had this uh, affair pastor I, I I had this abortion years ago and it still plagues me and what, whatever it might be there may be a sense of shame like I know myself more than you know me and so shame has a way of just getting into the cracks and the crevices of our life and then crying out and saying this is who you are you are no more than your greatest failure and if left unchecked shame has you believing every day that you're just you're one email one phone call one 
picture away from being exposed for who you are. And so as a result, that shame just keeps everything tight and close. But that's not what the Lord wants. The Lord wants you to be able to stand in freedom and faith. The Lord wants you to be able to stand in grace. The Lord wants you to have hope that in spite of myself, God's got a great plan for me. Because the Scripture says that He he makes all things new. And He makes you new. And He makes me new. And when God looks at us, He doesn't look at us as a, a reclamation project. God looks at us as being new. This weekend, I the word that came through my mind was I got a hankering. I don't know if I should say hankering. That's pretty weird. Not sure where that came from. But but this weekend, I, I had the desire. I was like, I'm going to go power wash my, my uh, back patio area. Like, we, we've lived there a while. We've never power washed it. And, and uh, it just kind of looks a little grimy. Well, I, I go out, and sure enough, um, if I had time, I'd tell you all the, the pitfalls, but I'll save those for different stories. And I, but I went out, and I did like a manly thing. I like power washed. And... Uh, the beautiful thing is I'm sitting there and as we're doing it, um, you could just see the, the, the original concrete come back to life. But as I was doing it, I, I genuinely thought, well, this is awesome. And it is great that, that God looks at me and He takes away my sin. But as I thought about that, I felt, no, it's not this at all. The theology of God is not that He takes a power washer, a pressure washer to my life and and beats away at me till I let go of brokenness. No, no, no. The theology of God is that He pours a whole new deck. And so why am I walking around with the weight of shame of what had accumulated on my life when the theology of God is that He has built a whole new me. And so you and I, we, we will hide or we will hope, but we have to understand that sin brings about the shame, but hope in Jesus is what brings us peace. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Suffering will lead me to shame or to my Savior. Suffering will lead me to shame or to my Savior. When people are, are, are suffering, going through momentary trials or long time, either, either suffering will look around and just say, man, I'm, not hurt. I'm, I'm hurting much more than they are. Why can't I have the life that they have? And suffering begins to isolate and suffering begins to suffocate. Or suffering can be allowed to produce hope in us. Lord, you're going to do a new thing. Lord, I'm in this situation, but it doesn't happen, have to last forever. Lord, the, the, the suffering may only last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And, and so I'm either going to put my head down or keep my head up, but it has to do not with the actual events going on around me. It has to do about whether or not I'm going to accept shame on my life or I'm going to accept the faith life. And the faith life says that God will produce hope in me. God will allow me to be able to to reach for Him. The thing is, I don't know about you, but I don't reach for God when things are going well. I just don't. I, I don't. I don't wake up every day and just go, man, Life is going good. Dear God, connect me tighter with you. 
Usually it's life is going good. God, thanks for my life. Now let me get on the other stuff. It's not that I don't talk to God. It's just that I'm not, I'm not yearning. I'm not in supplication. I'm not eager for that relationship to grow. Because when things are calm and steady, what happens is I kind of just say, hey, thanks, God. Appreciate it. But what happens when you're in suffering, church? What happens when you go through something that you can't understand? What happens when you are broken and you can't fix it? Oh, man, you cry out. If you're a believer in Jesus, your faith goes through the roof. And you will learn and you will grow and you will take greater strides in the midst of your suffering than you ever would when things are going fine. Some of the greatest places of faith and evidence of God's grace are in our hospitals, are in our nursing homes. It's when you're forgotten. It's when you're down. That's when your faith between you and the Lord grows. But it's when things are well that we kind of walk away. Hope is actually the highlight. Hope is what ties you to the Lord. Hope is what allows you to continue going forward. Hope is what, what, what grows you and grooms you. And it's going through the, the difficult days that allows you when the big things come to have faith. Because this too will pass. The joy will come in the morning. God will get His glory. Verse 5, and hope does not, it says, put us to shame. Hoping in the Lord, you should never be ashamed of that because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate hope dealer. The, ulti the, holy, the ultimate hope dealer. The Holy Spirit, when, when the Holy Spirit is present in your life, when you communicate with the Holy Spirit, tell God how you feel. He's the ultimate hope dealer. He's the one that says, hang on. God's got this. You know, I, I think one of the, the, the challenges that we all have is that we always tell these childhood stories to children. We, we tell these stories of the Bible from the perspective of the upbeat side. And we say to kids when we're growing up, we say, hey kids, isn't this awesome? God parted the Red Sea. And look, God's people just marched right on through. Isn't that great? And we go, yay God. But because they're kids, because we're kids, people don't really say, hey, no, I want you to meditate on the fact that all of these people were about to die. They were at the end of the proverbial rope. I mean, this would not do really well in like a five and six year old class. But, you know, like really just let them feel the weight Of, no, 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 before we talk about the water parting, let's talk about the fact that the water was a wall. And let's talk about the fact that there was nowhere to run and the enemies were coming and it was real blood and this wasn't a fairy tale. This was going to go down and they were going to die. And they're crying out for God and they're saying, what's going to happen next? But because we're told these stories when we're young and because hopefully you had some people that were cognizant of your age, they don't tell you, get to that place where suffering was happening. Get to that place to where they were at the end of their rope. Get to that place. Even in the Christmas story, even in the Christmas story, one of the reasons that I like to tell this part is because I think people just say, oh, well, it's Christmas. It's all happy. And, and there you go. There was a pine tree right there next to 
to Jesus. Like, no. Like, like when, when you look at this story, the scripture says there was crying in Ramallah. There was, there was crying. There, was, there were mothers who lost their babies. When you think about Passover, there, there was all kinds of death. And so every time you see a great victory in the scriptures, you've got to understand there was some suffering that predicated that. And without looking into the theology of suffering, we teach people that, you know what? Hey, if you're with God, it's all going to be a Christmas song. But no, it's when you are in the suffering and it all looks bleak that God's hand can be seen for what it really is. Because we say things like, God, you're our sustainer. But we don't give Him credit for the breath in our lungs. We, we get mad when cells start to multiply in our body in a way that they're not supposed to. But how often do we genuinely pray for the cells when things are well? Lord, thank You that these thousands of systems in my body are operating with complete harmony for all of these years. Suffering doesn't have to push us towards shame. Suffering can produce in us hope. That when we're going through a thing that we can't explain, we say, Lord, my hope is in You. And that's all it really should have ever been. But this experience gives me the ability to tighten up that which was loose. My hope is in You. And then when you get on the other side, then you get back to a new normal. What's beautiful about a new normal is that you begin to appreciate things that you didn't appreciate before. You begin to hug a little tighter. You begin to let the tears fall instead of trying to wipe them away and hide. You begin to breathe a little deeper. Sip your coffee a little more. You, you begin to enjoy this thing called life. Because on the other side of a down moment comes a hopeful one. I want to leave you with this today. When we think about shame, if God is not ashamed of you, you shouldn't be ashamed of you. If God is not ashamed to call you His child, you should not be ashamed either. The enemy would love to keep you in bondage over shame. Well, if they only knew. But I promise, if you find a brother or a sister that knows the Lord or a couple of mentors that know the Lord and walked with them a little while, just let it out. Because when you do, there's freedom, there's joy, there's hope. The enemy wants you to worry and be stressed and be filled with shame because it's there that he can keep you captive. But if you can say, this is my struggle, this is my pain, will you pray with me? This is the thing that I get entrapped with. This is my 
ensnared places? Can, can you pray that God would sanctify me? If you do that, what you're going to find is that God has already sent people around you to help lift you up. And as a result, you could take a deep breath and say, wow, God's not ashamed of me. Why do I live ashamed of me? Now, in those broken places, you give them to the Lord. That's what sanctification is. It doesn't mean that you say, hey, I have sin. I'm going to stay in sin. No, you, you, I have sin, but I have hope that is bigger than the sin. I have stress, but I have hope in a God who's bigger than the stress. I have burdens, but I have hope in a God who's bigger than the burden. In the garden, started with God, walking with His children in perfect harmony every day. And there was no shame. It was only after sin that they realized that they were naked. But God already sees you, good, bad, and different, for exactly who you are. And you're loved. Find hope in Him. If you've never trusted Jesus to save you, if you've never understood, how do I get to heaven? The Bible declares that we admit that we're sinners. Everybody in this room is a sinner. We're equally broken before God. The only thing that separates us is some chairs and a wooden platform. But in terms of the eyes of God, everybody in this room is equally a sinner. So you admit that you're a sinner. You believe something about that sin. Your sin will condemn you. It's very clear. The, the Scripture tells us that in John 3, 17, 18, that, that we are condemned already because we're born into sin. But what do you believe about that sin? Do you believe that you're going to stand condemned? Or do you believe that something happened that shifted it? And we believe as Christians that Jesus lived a perfect life and He died on a cross. Fully God, fully man, He voluntarily died to build a bridge from heaven to earth so that you could have a relationship with God. And then you confess something. You confess, Jesus, because you've done that, because you've built the bridge, because you came all the way to heaven for me, because you loved me, then I confess, Jesus, you are Lord. I'm not Lord of this life. I'm not the boss and CEO. I'm not in charge, but you are. And so I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Christ died to pay the penalties for that sin. And therefore, I confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. I have hope in you. And the Bible declares that if you would do those things, if you would admit, believe, and confess, then you too will be saved. To be saved means that you don't have your sins counted against you. And that's what we all need for the hope of heaven. 